0: And a very warm welcome to 20 Minutes with a podcast brought to you by Proximo, a leading source of news and data for the global project finance, energy, and infrastructure market. My name is Thomas Hopkins, and I am deputy editor of Proximo. I am delighted to be joined today by Melissa Simich, a senior director in ESG integration infrastructure at Nuveen. Melissa is going to be digging into some of the detail of the ESG frameworks commonly used by infrastructure investors. Uh, Melissa thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Hi Thomas, yes I'm so happy to be here today.
0: Yes it's great to have you on. Um, perhaps before we start the discussion could I just ask you to tell me a bit about your professional background and some of the work you do at Naveen.
1: Yes of course. So I I am obviously, uh, my name is Melissa and I am uh, a civil engineer. I started my career working in the construction and management of uh, infrastructure projects in in the Manhattan. And I am right now, part of the responsible investment team at Nuveen. Nuveen is an American asset manager and wholly-owned subsidiary of the financial planning firm TIAA, uh, itself known for its legacy focus on managing money for non-for-profit institutions such as universities and their employees. Uh, we manage around 1.2 trillion in assets under management, and we have a very large global presence. And as part of the RI team, I take care of the ESG integration, focusing on private infrastructure equity. And our ESG integration work includes incorporating ESG factors throughout the investment process, and the ESG, uh, and we also collect ESG data, of course, as part of that process.
0: Thanks so much, Melissa. And it'll be great to get your thoughts on some of the uh, issues that we're going to sort of cover today. I mean, if I start off the discussion um, with a sort of initial question, how does Nuveen manage selecting infrastructure investments in relation to ESG requirements or goals?
1: Right, so this this is pretty much, yeah, the essence of, of that ESG integration that we do. So at Nuveen Infrastructure, we, we follow a rigorous approach as part of our commitment to responsible investing, and this means that we apply a very thorough ESG due diligence for all of our infra investments, and we have developed our own ESG integration strategy. So as you can imagine, ESG integration for private markets requires a different approach than public markets. To, to obviously the lack of, of ESG disclosures among private companies. So this is why we need to do this process in-house. And as part of our process, we conduct ESG due diligence using proprietary scoring and rating tool, which assesses how well a company manages ESG issues, even its it risks exposure relative to peers. Um, and then each, each, each investment received an overall ESG rating as well as an individual ESNG. Using a leader, neutral, or laggard scale, and then uh, we obviously have a materiality-based methodology embedded within this tool, which is aligned with international standards such as IFC, GRASB, and the SDG. And we also use public data tools and private data tools to inform the level of oversight and support for all those ESG issues throughout the investment due diligence. Uh, and finally, you know, this tool also allows you to monitor and manage the ESG performance of the portfolio companies. Uh, This helps you undertake regular reviews uh, with the company and the management teams. And it also facilitates reporting by communicating ESG performance in both quantitative and qualitative terms.
0: Thanks so much, Melissa. And just to start thinking about some of the actual kind of frameworks that you sort of deal with um, as part of your role. um, which ESG frameworks do asset managers like Nuveen typically incorporate as part of the due diligence for infrastructure investments?
1: Yes, exactly. So um so Nuveen infrastructure typically, I mean, we typically incorporate three main ESG frameworks within our due diligence. Um, as I said, we do inform by using private and data, uh, private and public data sources, but the three main frameworks that we use are the IFC performance standards. Uh, the GRESB, and obviously the SDGs, uh, the Sustainable Development Goals. So for those not familiar, the IFC performance standards are a framework for ensuring sustainable development, um, and they provide guidance on how to identify risks and impacts, which are designed to help avoid, mitigate, and manage risks in a way of doing business in a sustainable way. Um, The GRESB stands for Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, an investment it's an investor-led organization that pretty much gives you access to environmental and social governance data to financial markets so they collect valid data score and benchmark the ESG data Um, and they have a module for infrastructure so that's the one that that we tend to use and uh, finally the sustainable development goals of the SDGs where obviously it's a framework that was created in 2015 and represents guidelines and targets necessary to achieve sustainable development at a global level by 2030. So um, a Novini Infra array tool integrates all these three frameworks. And an example of that is that we have mapped our investments to the SDGs at the SDG target level to demonstrate how they contribute to this achievement of the goals. Uh, We also incorporate the IFC performance standards as part of our materiality assessment due diligence, and uh, we follow the V rating methodology to to benchmark the holdings in our portfolio. So we we truly believe that our proprietary rating tools solve the lack of ESG research available for private infrastructure. We also think that we, we do capture ESG conviction within investment research by assigning proprietary ESG ratings determined through this materiality analysis. And, and finally, we think this, this approach reinforces, as I said, our commitment to responsible investing. We believe it is important for asset managers and investors to understand the value of incorporating ESG data, not just in ESG or impact-focused strategy, but across the entire investment spectrum. We, we think that doing, doing this well can improve the existing investment process. By integrating ESG factors, we can also achieve something that all investors are striving for which is a greater return potential, mitigating portfolio risks, and unlocking new opportunities.
0: Of course. And, you know, obviously you mentioned you've got those sort of three different kind of frameworks that you sort of managed to blend together in your approach when investing. Um, But I just wanted to ask just to bring up the kind of standardization point that's often raised in relation to sort of ESG. I mean, in your opinion, how would greater standardization of ESG frameworks be helpful to investors?
1: Yes, that is uh, something that we we are very keen to standardize, standardization. I think it would help level the playing field. I think greater standardization promotes transparency, comparability, and reliability of ESG information, enabling investors to integrate ESG considerations into the decision-making process more effectively. It also helps investors align their portfolio with their desired ESG outcomes. And and I feel like, you know, I mean, don't I, I feel we've been hearing for quite some time, you know, like there's a continual call for better ESG data. Uh, and while a single set of reporting standards will not solve all the challenges around producing better ESG data, we do think that standardization can help improve the efficiency and the comparability. And so we we think that also helps improve investor confidence. And and we definitely think that better data will also allow companies to assess their own progress alongside our collective uh, progress, right? When we when we say we're committing to the Paris Agreement or to SDGs, we feel if we have all this data, we can we can sh- see how we're collectively going towards those goals. And there is obviously increasingly c- clear empirical evidence that delivering on ESG objective is associated with improved financial performance. So we feel like investing in, in producing better ESG data has a clear return for companies. And, and I do think that SFDR is trying to do this at the moment as well.
0: That's, could you bring up SFDR actually, because I was uh, just about to mention that as part of my next question. And you know, obviously I know that is sort of an attempt at, at standardization uh, to some extent. I mean, just thinking about the SFDR, w- which areas of the SFDR are most challenging for investors?
1: Yeah, so I mean SFDR for those that are not familiar, it stands for sustainable finance disclosure regulation and it's really intended to be a disclosure tool to foster transparency and and the most challenging part I think until now has been to my I mean in my opinion is data management. I think we now need to classify our investments based on the EU criteria and and then make very detailed disclosures. And in many cases, firms do not currently capture maybe the required data, such as the principal adverse indicators, which pretty much show how investment decisions may negatively impact sustainability factors. So as a result, you know we see that um, this is now beginning to be expanded. They're, start, they're starting to span their due diligence process to incorporate ESG consideration. And we're, start, we're starting to see that our companies are asking the right questions now. Which is not only helpful for SFDR, obviously, but also for the compliance with with future requirements. So we feel that um, private markets face particular challenges due to the lack of available data for alternative assets. Like firms, like 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 the ones that we have in our portfolio, uh, might not be able to have some of this data uh, available and. Uh, and we need to source this data directly from private companies. So this is what we're doing at NuV infrastructure. We have built a due diligence process, including an ESG checklist and a section of the IC committee memo that incorporates questions related to this to this process. and and the second challenge, I think, you know the first one is obviously data management, but the second challenge, I think, is also the complexity of the taxonomy. So I feel you know this type of disclosure requirements, Often involve technical detail and it is is very written in a very in a very vague and ambiguous language. So for example, I think it requires some sort of sophistication and and and, and some sort of 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 comprehension to understand the difference between the proportion of taxonomy eligible activity versus an aligned activity. This is something that we have uh, been able to to invest a lot of time internally to just really understand how this regulation is written, and and it took a, a group of individuals at Novin to make the SFDR um, uh, exercise very successful. And and we think that you know a lot of these of these uh, terms are, are are very sophisticated, and and it, it becomes that you need to have some sort of uh, expert uh, really trying to identify how how this, what this means in, in, real, in, the real, in the real world, right? So, and we have, without a comprehensive understanding of the taxonomy and the SFDR regulations, you, you really don't, don't know how you can find them useful. And, and I think, you know, we need to do better at, 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 so that this regulation can, can reduce that information asymmetries between asset managers and investors. I think uh, this, this is some of the challenges that we just need to go past that complexity uh, technicality of, of this taxonomy and this regulation so that this can be uh, something useful for the long term.
0: And just thinking about matching up different sectors with the ESG criteria and, and evaluating them, I mean, which asset classes do you think are most complex to evaluate in relation to ESG criteria?
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, I mean, having always worked with private markets, I think public markets is definitely more complex to evaluate correctly as you don't have the asset level data at hand for many of these corporations. It's kind of a challenge to collect the entire footprint of their operation. So that's why I'm I'm very biased. I think for real assets, one of the biggest advantage is that we have that direct access to the allocation of our assets and therefore our general projects, uh, our, our general process includes, you know, conducting an early screening, uh, and mainly we use just spatial information tools that are able to understand how that asset is um, interacting with the society and with the environment. Uh, we also undertake in-house analysis. We feel that this drive both accuracy and transparency with the investment committee, as well as effective oversight and management of material ESG issues throughout the investment lifecycle. And then we also do on-ground diligence because, you know, these assets, we have teams on the ground, and this involves some sort of site visit by the team. And, and during this stage, we evaluate the impacts of the, of the environment and how that asset is impacting society. So we just think about setting up. Um, so this is something we can do, for example, and it's, it's when we base up a biodiversity baseline, we also involve environmental sampling and conducting a stakeholder mapping. So the important the important thing in this in this part of the due diligence when we are on the ground is to make this process very inclusive, and so in in this in this uh, in this in this phase we invite the surrounding community to be part of the sampling so that we can understand if there are any minorities that need to be also included in this process and and finally you know we we think about the way we can mitigate our impact so the mitigation measures and so after the due diligence you can define the action plan. And that's how you can track the improvement and monitoring of your site over time. Um, we feel that you know this this definitely uh, we we feel that this this approach is 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 uh, very rigorous and very uh, sophisticated, and we're very excited to to have all the all the access to this to these different tools and how we can use uh, digitalization. Uh, along with the private private assets to be able to be more influential on on the ground.
0: My final question, Melissa, would just be, is enough attention currently paid in ESG regulation to social issues in areas such as uh, solar panel supply chains?
1: Yes, so I think um, social issues is, is something that I think SFDR is trying to do to take care of, of the social issues by the alignment with the good governance and minimum, minimum safeguard requirements. However, I think, you know, social issues are still not so much. Um, there's not there can be more attention paid to this to this to this topic. And and I think, you know, it, it's very complex. It's a very complex problem. And and, and definitely more more should be done. For example, with the solar panels, uh, the main issue is obviously the polysilicon, right? And understanding where this component is coming from. So, if if you if you do some research around this, you you can easily understand that that the issue is mainly that the components are mainly produced in Chinese region of Xinjiang, uh, where there are concerns about forced labor camps for Muslim minorities, including the Uyghurs. And so we feel that. You know, this is a complex problem because it's not only about being in this region, but there is also some, some more research that says that this these minorities have been transferred out of this region to work in factories across China. And so it is it is kind of like not 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 correct to feel that only if you're forcing if you're if you're sourcing a components from this region, you are in trouble. So we feel like uh, some of some of the other conditions indicate that the Uyghurs, you know, are are worked in factories that are supply chains of at least 82 to global brands in the technology, clothing, and automotive sector. So it's definitely not an issue that is completely attached to the solar industry. So it's, it's a very complex problem. And and as part of the solution, of course, you know, Nuveen Infrastructure recently joined the trade association Solar Power Europe. Um. So it is the latest organization. To join this trade association, uh, NuVinci joins over 280 organizations that are already in this in this, um, in this um, trade association. And it includes, you know, solar supply chain. It, it, what we're trying to do is presenting a unified industry voice to shape the EU policy and environment. So the other, the other part of the solution that we're trying to do is, for instance, one of our portfolio companies, uh, BNZ, is our very own. IPP, which manages over 1.7 gigawatts in, uh, across uh, Southern Europe, uh, we, we require, so BNC requires the contractor to sign a code of conduct, and in this code of conduct, we put the burden on this contractor to make sure that they perform the appropriate due diligence of their supply chain. So this is another example of how we're trying to be influential in this, in this topic and, and become a leader in the energy transition and, and by collaborating closely, closely with local suppliers over the life cycle of the plants that we develop and manage so we can approach ESG from multiple perspectives.
0: Thanks, Melissa. And I'm very sorry to say that I think that's all we're going to have time for today. But thank you once again for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Thomas. So it was a pleasure to be here today.
0: Yes, it's been great to have you on. It's been a really fascinating discussion, I think. Um, just before we end, I would just like to take a brief moment to remind listeners about our Proximo US Power, Renewables and Energy Transition Finance 2023 event, which is taking place in Austin from 2 to 3 November. Further details can be found on our website at proximoinfra.com, so do be sure to sign up. Thanks to everyone for listening and do join us again next month for more of your latest project finance, energy and infrastructure news and analysis from Proximo.